welcome to Daddy London Life again. Uh, firstly, apologies, it's taken me so long to do the next one. Uh, in the last one, I said I'd do it the next day. I clearly didn't, I'm about two weeks later. Um, number of reasons for that, but anyway, I'm here today. Thanks very much for all the comments and feedback. It's been really good and really positive to know that people have found it useful, um, which just gives me the impetus to want to keep doing this. So last time uh, I did this, we talked, we left. Um, at the placement of our early permanence foster to adopt child. So today I'm going to talk about what happened uh, in that placement and kind of where that left us at the end of that placement. So as I said previously we decided against early permanence moving forward but we we decided that we would take this case that came up about a week after that decision. So I remember we were called on a Monday and I remember because I was still quite hungover from London Pride um, last year <laughs> and we had the phone call from our social worker saying that this early permanence baby had come up and that it was, surefire is not the word, but probably as certain as they felt they could be that the, the child wasn't going to end up going to a birth family member or to anybody else and that there had been six weeks gone already because the, the baby was uh, a drug withdrawing baby um, from multiple substances and was still in hospital. Uh, a viability assessment had been done of a birth family member. Uh, and for those who don't know, a viability assessment is essentially almost like the initial assessment that will be done on a birth family member. And by that, I mean not the birth mother or birth father, but it could be an auntie, uncle, grandparent. Um, and they, they do kind of like a mini interview, if you like, to try and work out, do they believe that those people could look after the, the, the child? If from that assessment they believe they could, they then go into what's called a special guardianship assessment. Um, but in this case, the birth family member had had a negative viability assessment. Um, a week had gone past where that had been confirmed to the birth family member because there's a week where they can... Um, contest it and they hadn't done that. So we were then called uh, because the hospital was ready for the baby to be discharged um, in a short period of time. So social services need to start thinking about where that baby was going to be placed. Was it going to be foster care or early permanent? So we were asked about it, um, giving a level of assurance that, you know, this baby was going to most likely stay with us and that there would be short court proceedings because the birth mother um, wasn't interested, so they weren't relinquishing. And relinquishing means that they will sign up to the fact that the child is being removed. Um, <clears throat> but they weren't looking to try and contest what was happening either. So there's still a formality of court process, uh, but they, they're not going to contest it. And the birth family member had been negatively assessed. Birth father was unknown. Um, one was provided, but paternity was negative. So there was a risk that the birth father could come up out of the woodwork. So um, we, I think we had a day maybe to make a decision on what we were doing. Um, and we decided that we would. Um, there's limited information. So we knew that the baby had been drug withdrawn or was drug withdrawing still. Um, we knew that the birth mother had taken lots of drugs and had had some alcohol usage. Um, which in early permanence is not uncommon. That's, you know, the reason why they're being removed so early and why there's such a level of certainty that you can take them in a foster placement and that they'll likely go to adoption. Um, so we went to meet 
him in hospital on the Wednesday. So that was two days after we'd found out. Um, and instantly just fell in love with him. He was a beautiful little boy. He was very smiley, very happy, very content. Um, you know, he's a teeny tiny little thing that clearly just needed somebody to love him and look after him. And I would say that lots of people get worried about what, you know, they've met kids before, what they're going to do when they first see their child, how they can know how to look after them. You know, and all those things are true, but I would say that your natural instincts kick in. And there's clearly something built into us that says, you you got this, you're going to work it out, even if you don't know what you're doing, you'll ask, you'll get help, um, but you will make sure it happens. And I remember that um, our social worker picked him up and put him in my arms and I was, you know, I didn't, didn't know what to do. I'm not good with babies at the best of times. Um, and it just felt really natural. And I think within a few minutes he'd pooped. Um, while I was holding him and it absolutely stank. Um, for those of you that haven't dealt with baby poos recently, like newborn baby poos, they're not particularly pleasant. Um, and I've got this video of uh, that was being taken at the time of my face, just, you know, eyes rolling back and just really ponging. And the nurse said to me, would you like me to change him? And I said, no, I would like to do it. So I did, I, and I got shown, you know, this is how they, how they were doing it with him and what they were doing. Um, because I just remember thinking that's it's now my job to do this. Um, I'm responsible for this child and I will make sure that he gets what he needs. Um, so anyway, we proceeded to go to the hospital every day, spend three or four hours there. It's all a bit awkward. It was in a, a neonatal ward. So there were lots of other babies there with their mothers, you know, that were still being looked at, not necessarily because they were drug withdrawn, just because they might have been premature or something like that. Um, it was also awkward because next to us, there was another um, baby that had been removed by social services um, and parents were being supervised so there was a couple of scares that they thought it was the parents of this little boy and it wasn't because she never came to see him but it was all very intense and awkward um, the nurses were absolutely fantastic you know really helped us with feeding changing um, bathing all that sort of stuff um, we were told that he was likely to be able to be discharged the following Monday from memory and we were requested to do two overnights in hospital where you stay in a separate room and overnight you take the baby with you and you do everything all the feeding changing bathing all etc by yourself um, and that's partly I think because they want to see that you can do it but two also you know the baby needs to get comfortable with us he'd know no one but the nurses um, which at the time was good because it meant that he he, he dealt with us really well and quite easily because he was used to being handled by different people. But at the same time, it wasn't great because he'd never really built a, a specific, a, a secure attachment with one or two individuals, just with lots of people. That's how he was used to being looked after. So it was good to be able to do that, build up your confidence. I remember we didn't sleep a wink, definitely the first night because we were just like petrified. He wasn't breathing every five seconds, as I'm sure all new parents are. And just watching him mesmerized by you know, the miracle that is a baby. Um, and then we took him home on the Monday. There was a bit of a kerfuffle, but I won't go into that. Um, and we took him home on the Monday um, and he was home and it was all very surreal. Suddenly there was this baby in our house and he was dominating every second of the day. Um, he settled in really well. Um, you know, he was sleeping reasonably well through the night. 
um, wasn't particularly a crying baby, um, had some problems with some colic, but you know, beyond that, we were, you know, just normal stuff. Um, and you have your regular visits, so you have to see a, your social workers very quickly after they've moved in to check everything's gone well. Um, and you get the health visitor come and see you and all those, you know, good things. Um, and then about, you know, it's, it's a bit of a blur to me, but about a week in, we found out from our social worker that the negative assessment that had been done on a birth family member, um, it wasn't being overturned, but it had been deemed by the local authority. It also wasn't even a contestment from that person. From the local authority, um, senior managers had read it and said, this isn't good enough. It wasn't robust enough. And they weren't giving enough of an adequate chance. And immediately, I mean, our hearts just absolutely sank. And we knew, we, did, we deluded ourselves we had a chance, but we knew that was the beginning of the end. Um, and that ultimately this child was probably going to be removed from us because birth family always wins out. The birth family member had a sibling, half sibling of this um, child as well. So that was always going to be, you know, a big draw um, to keep those siblings together. Um, and then I would just say probably the worst two and a half months of our lives probably ensued. Um, it was amazing looking after him. But about a month in, so about three weeks after we found out, we then had to start contact with the birth family member. And for those of you who don't know how that works, contact can be any time from one to five times a week. Because this was a, a special guardianship assessment, they, they decided it was a once a week was enough. Um, and that's part of the way they're assessed how they, so, you know, they're assessed while they're interacting with the, the child. Um, we had to take him to a contact centre um, and hand him over. And we essentially got 30 seconds so a minute maybe to hand him over with people we'd never met before, the birth family members and social workers that none of us have ever met. And that was the most bizarre experience in the world because you, though he wasn't ours, he was our responsibility and we felt like he was ours. And you had to hand him over to a bunch of strangers and have him look at you like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Um, and I remember we came back and his face was all wet and puffy. He'd even crying, but it didn't seem like it had gone awfully. Um, the, the birth family members were actually really nice, which made it all, all the harder for us, because in that moment you kind of want to hate what's going on, but you can't. Um, and they did a good handover with us. And then the second week we went back, um, he was crying when we arrived and it, he was clearly getting more distressed by what was happening. Um, and when we got him home, he was becoming much more fractious, much more he needed a lot more holding. He, he kind of stepped back a bit. So where he'd start to be able to roll over and move around and hold things, he wouldn't do those things anymore. He just wanted to be in your arms. Um, and then just after we'd had the third contact, we found out that uh, my other half's mother had become terminal um, and that it was probably about time that my other half went home. We weren't sure how quickly that would need to happen, but within a few days, we, we got the phone call that said, come now or you, you're going to miss it. Um, so my other half left the house within an hour. Um, as I said in the previous video, the, the family don't live in this country. So logistically, he had to move quite quickly. And I remember saying to him, this is probably the last time you're going to see this little, little boy. And that was just quite devastating for all three of us, I think, really upsetting. Um, about 
he he went and then the little boy became even more fractious because his papa had gone and the contact was happening and I was distressed because I was at home and then within hours of or a day I think maybe of my my other half arriving home he his mother died um, and there was nothing I could really do for him. My priority actually, I had to be at that time looking after the little boy. Um, but I felt quite helpless. I felt like I, I couldn't offer the support that he clearly needed. Um, he wasn't anywhere near, you know, we couldn't do anything. We were in different time zones. It was really difficult. And I became quite emotionally reclusive, I think, because it was the only way that I could deal with what was going on. At that time, I said to local authority, you, you need to make a decision about what's going on. So I knew the SGO assessment had finished, but that hadn't been finalised into the formal governance and the process that the local authority needs to go to, to go, yes, this is what we need to do, then go to court and say we need to move the, the child. But my focus was that I didn't want my other half coming home and then having to give the child up after he'd just lost his mum. I just felt like it was too much. Um, so, the, so although we had a rough date, which was about another four weeks time is when it was all going to happen, my, I was insistent that we needed to get this done. And there's a long drawn out story, which I won't go into, but essentially I, I went to loggerheads a little bit with the local authority to, to make them get themselves into a decision and do the right thing by us and by the child, because it wasn't fair on him either. You know, they knew he was going, we knew he was going, they wouldn't give us the decision, even though we knew what, we all knew what was happening. Um, and I'd missed the funeral at that point and essentially the decision was made and three days later he was, he, he went. And um, I remember it just being the most horrific day of my life and I, I remember everything about the morning that he went. Um, I still hadn't really cried at that point because I, I was just trying to hold myself together. I booked myself a flight to go out to be with my other half um, immediately after the, the, he'd left. Um, and I remember the, the social worker arriving who I didn't know. Um, and she was great, you know, she was really good. She, she was very kind and very thoughtful and she'd rung me a couple of times before to go through how it was going to work. Um, and I just carried him around the house while she was getting everything out, the, all the stuff we'd got for him. And we, obviously we didn't need to keep him there, it was for him. Um, and then she had to wait for a cab. And I remember I just broke down realizing that he was going because all of his stuff had gone and he was there with me. And then she came and told me and that she was ready to go. And she took him from the front door because I just couldn't I just couldn't go with, I just couldn't put him in the car I didn't want to faff with the car seat I just needed a break um, I needed it to just happen he just watched me as he was taken away by this woman that he didn't know into a car he didn't know to a place he didn't know and I remember shutting the door and just breaking down and so many of my friends had offered to be here and you know They've all been incredible through that whole process. You know, I really haven't gone into that level of detail, um, which I will do at, in another at another time. But I just needed to be by myself, and I remember I just ordered an Uber, went to the airport, I think, 
an hour and a half early because I just couldn't be in the house. Um, rang mother half, just so I think I sobbed all the way to the airport through most of being at the airport and most of the flight. <laughs> um, and then got to the other side and was quite numb. And it was all very difficult because I walked into a family that had just lost their mother, wife, grandmother, and it just didn't feel like our situation could compare. And I, I felt like I needed to be respectful and not talk about what I was going through, but they were incredible as well. And they, you know, they were really supportive and, but it was just really hard. So we spent a few days there and then we went traveling for a bit just to try and get our heads in a different space. We spent the first week somewhere we knew quite well and didn't talk a lot about it. And then we went somewhere different and then that day where it was all a bit different and we just essentially got really drunk at a cocktail bar with the sunset, just both broke down and started to try and unwind what had happened between both the situations and how we were feeling. You know, we were both in really different places. Mother half had left two weeks earlier and two and a half weeks earlier and hadn't had to go through what I'd had to go through, but I hadn't been with him and had to go through what he'd had to go through. And it was, we were in really different headspaces and we needed to reconnect really. Um, and then obviously everything was on hold and life was, we came home and life had to start getting back to normal, which was really difficult. Um, we both had counselling, which was really helpful. You know, it's a loss at the end of the day. Um, work, our works were pretty good about it. You know, I'm not sure they fully understood the magnitude of what had happened to us. Um, well, certainly uh, I can only speak on my own behalf and that I found that quite a difficult process negotiating with work about time off and what that looked like at a time where I just needed to not talk to anyone about anything. I just needed to time to myself to re-establish life and routine and you know such like and then it moved into Christmas and that was really really difficult. Um, Christmas was hard. We thought we would have a child in the house and it would be our first Christmas with our child and we didn't we didn't have that child and all the things we'd imagined that were going to happen didn't happen and it was hard to think about whether it ever would or whether we'd even want it to ever happen again after what we'd been through. Um, so, yeah. And then we got to the new year and decided that um, we were at make or break. We either were going to go forward with normal, straightforward adoption, not any permanent, or we weren't and that we needed to start processing what that meant to us, the local authority, how, how would we go about it? What was the right placement for us? Um, so yeah, so we spoke to our social worker who I have to say was incredible through the whole, whole process. You know, I know she was devastated for what was happening to us. And I'm sure she felt a level of associated guilt on behalf of the local authority because of what we'd ended up being given. Um, but if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't have stayed with that local authority because I think it would have been too difficult. We felt like at the time we felt like she was the only one that cared. She's the only one that helped us through it, that really understood what we were going through as much as anybody could and helped us fight the fight we needed to to do what was right for us and right for the child. Um, there was one point we were asked whether or not we wanted to put him into foster care before their decision was made. And I, I said, no, 
as much as that was probably not the right thing for me, there was no way I was going to let that child be moved twice. It already had had trauma, trauma in its life and we were going to become the first one. I didn't want to make there be a second one at the end of that um, because he'd done nothing wrong. He was the innocent one in this situation. Um, you know, he just needed a permanent home to be loved and go to. And ultimately that was with his birth family. Um, so, yeah. So, sorry, I realised I, um, for those of you watching this on the video and not on the podcast, I wasn't looking at the camera a lot there because I found that really difficult to talk about. Um, and I'm finding it really difficult now. So I'm going to probably stop this one. And then I'll, in the next one, I'll come back and talk about what we did afterwards. Um, and I feel like I've misled that as well, but I've had to do that because I, I recently talked about this on a, a, someone else's podcast and I found that quite difficult. Um, but I'm happy to answer any questions people have got if people want to talk, send me a message or would like me to talk in more detail about a specific part of that or you feel I've missed something or skipped over something, please let me know. Um, next time we will talk about what we did next, which is a bit more positive. So hopefully this is probably the most <laughs> negative one we're going to have or depressing one, whatever one you, however you want to call it. Um, so thanks again for watching or listening. Um, I'm finding this really useful and I'm hoping you guys are too. Um, speak to you next time.